0: here 's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester Hebrews chapter ten. you know as we 've been going through the book of Hebrews, uh, you know it 's been meat, hasn't it? I, I think it has anyways it's like you know just some solid doctrine these first uh, nine chapters and uh, first half of the ten of chapter ten. Uh, when I was preparing for this morning I think it's it's almost like someone's making a sub sandwich, you know. They've got the bread, they've opened up the bread, and they're just laying on the meat really, really, really thick. And uh, now it's time for the lettuce. And if you've read ahead on chapter 10, verse 19, through the rest of the chapter, he's going to be adding some lettuce, some application, and you'll get what I'm talking about when we get to the let lettuce uh, uh, portions of Scripture. But that's what I was thinking. I, I, my mind works that way. I, I think of food quite often, so... <laughs> You ask me how my vacation was? Great, man. The food was, you know. <laughs> uh, I love food. Anyways, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he, which he consecrated uh, for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. We'll stop right there. Having boldness to enter the holiest. You know that word actually means freedom of speech. So if you kind of get to wrap your mind about what he's talking about, you know, I, I had a friend that I was talking to, oh, about a year ago or so, and we hadn't seen each other for a while, and I was asking him about some stuff, and he, he said, uh, can I have permission to speak freely? And what it was, what he was communicating to me was that he wanted to say something and he didn't know quite how I was going to take it. He didn't know if I'd get offended. He was a little bit leery about it. So I said, man, can I speak freely? I said, man, speak on. And he kind of poured out his heart to me. That's what freedom of speech is. It's being able to say something, speaking freely without fear. And that's what the writer of Hebrews chapter 10 is telling us here in verse 19. We have that freedom of speech. We can enter the access, the throne room of God and speak freely without fear. You know, the, the opposite of that is fear and trembling, And why that's significant is because under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the the priests that would enter the Holy of Holies, they entered in with fear and trembling. And I'll give you an example why. Back to the first great high priest, Aaron. It's in Leviticus chapter 16. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. But it says here, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. The priests, the great, the high priests, they would enter into that holy place. They didn't just, you know, saunter in there casually with their cup of coffee no i mean they were they went in with fear and trembling because god is holy and so they needed to make sure that they went through all the the ritual cleansings they had to make sure that the they had been sprinkled with the blood of atonement before they could walk into the to the holy place but you and i man we can just enter at any time I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. For those of you that maybe had a good example of a father, I know not everybody did, but for those of you that had a good example of a father, can you remember those times when you just walk up and say, Daddy? and your dad he would just drop what he was doing and give you his attention wasn't angry like why are you bugging me now or anything like that. you know he would turn his attention to you and and that's the picture that we have under <clears throat> under the new covenant and so here <clears throat> we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Now, under the old covenant, of course, they entered by the blood of an animal. They would would slay an animal, and they'd they'd take that blood, and they would sprinkle, and that was what they entered in. But you and I, we've entered in by Christ's own blood. And he says, by a new and living way through the veil that is his flesh. Um, You know, not only is Christ... The Lamb of God, we talked about that, we, or we, you can read it through the scriptures. Not only is he the Lamb of God, the actual sacrifice for your and my sins, but he's also the great high priest who's offering the sacrifice Uh, of for our sins he's offering himself and here the writer says he's also the veil that the high priest had to pass through now under the old covenant again once more they that that veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies and so the great high priest could only go in once a year they would go through that veil but now that veil and you remember when jesus christ died on the cross the temple veil tore in two and it signified that now the way was open for us to enter into the throne room of heaven to enter into God's presence, and it's through the veil. And when it, when, it, when it, you know, so we have these pictures. He's the sacrifice. He's the great high priest. He even is that veil, but the veil is torn open. And what I, what I think that's speaking about is how you and I, we can only access that throne room through Jesus Christ. It's not like he did his sacrifice, he's done, and now he's out of the picture. We just go to the Father. No, we're always going through Christ Jesus. That never changes He's the veil that we pass through. And he says, by a new and living way. And that word new, it literally means freshly killed. Now, we're not like some denominations or I should say some some faiths where they think that Christ is always being sacrificed on the cross. Every time they do a mass, you know, Christ is always dying. We don't believe that. The Bible says that Jesus died once and for all. So it's not like he's being freshly killed, but what that's speaking of is the fact that his sacrifice is still effective for you and I to enter in his throne room. That blood still washes away sins. I love that. There's power in the blood. We sing that one song, and it's so true because even 2,000 years later, shed blood, it still washes away sins when we confess them to him. So Christ's sacrifice, it's once for all, and yet it's still effective. So he says it's a new and a living way. You know, and that's what separates you and I as believers from any other faith, any other religion, is that you and I, and we, you've maybe, maybe it sounds cliche to you, but Christianity, you've heard it before, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, You know, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Have you ever thought about that? What what does that mean? Listen, I want to just share some things with you here. The Bible teaches us that we worship the living God. The living God, he's alive. We don't worship, we don't follow a faith system. You know, I've got this, this book that I read, and if I do all these things, you know, I'll get to the state of, you know, whatever, elevation in my, you know, it's not that. We have a, a living God that we worship. And he's giving us, given us the living word. This word, you know, the Bible's what changes people's lives. A lot of people go to counseling, and I'm not saying that counseling is wrong. Or I'm not saying that at all. But if you, God's word will change you. If you'll just read it and you'll apply it in your life, man, God's word. I've heard testimony over testimony of people that have read God's word, and it's God's word that's had that impact in their life. It's God's words that, that's changed them. So we've been given the living word. It's not a book of stories. It's not, a, not an ethics system to follow. It's the living word of God that can transform us. You and I, we are called the church of the living God. Not only that, but we're also described as being living stones, being built up together as the house of God. We're all part of the temple of God. God dwells inside of each of us. You know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but each of us are also part of a corporate temple, the body of Christ. We have a living hope, Peter tells us in his epistle, as opposed to a false hope. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And. He calls you and I to offer our lives as a living sacrifice daily. So you think about that. We, he's come to give us life and life abundantly. We serve a living God. We've been given the living word. We're the living church. We're to be living sacrifices. Man, life abundant. Think about that. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God, here's the first lettuce, by the way, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's some application for you and I. And if you think about who this book was, this uh, the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews was written, it's a group of Jewish believers that have come to faith in Christ. They've forsaken Judaism. They're following Jesus, but they're tempted to go back into Judaism. Things are just kind of, they've they've grown distant from the lord you know they've been they've been getting persecuted for their faith and it's you know jesus said you know he's returning and yet man it's been how many years since his crucifixion and resurrection and he still hasn't come back yet and so there was a group of these hebrew believers that were tempted to go back to the old system that's what this letter was written to and so now the writer is saying hey guys let's draw near the Lord. And that word draw near, it actually in the Greek, it's in the present tense. In other words, let's keep on drawing near, continue drawing near to the Lord. See, this was their problem. They had lost their intimate relationship with the Lord. It wasn't that God had become distant from them, but they had drawn, they had stopped drawing near to the Lord. And so we're to draw near on an ongoing basis. And the Bible says with a true heart. I like that because it don't say with a perfect heart. Now, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect either. But with that true heart, what it really means is with an honest heart, with a sincere heart. You know, the, the writer to the Hebrews, he's already mentioned, uh, he's mentioned the word true in his epistle already. Chapter 8, we, we're talking about how Jesus Christ is in the true tabernacle. I mean, everything in the Old Testament, the the tabernacle, later on the temple, uh, all the furniture of the tabernacle, all the sacrifices, everything was a copy and a shadow of the true in heaven. And so we're to to worship with a true, with a sincere heart. We're to draw near. I like what Andrew Murray said. He said this, uh, God has in Christ given us access to the secret place of his dwelling To the inner sanctuary of his presence and his heart. No wonder that the first thing he asks as he calls us unto him is the heart, a true heart. Our inmost being must be in truth be yielded to him, true to him. God hasn't held anything back from us. And so he wants us to enter in without holding anything back from him, entering in with an honest heart. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I just, I just thank you for your sacrifice. I want to come into your presence. Early on in chapter 3, the writer was warning the Jews, the Jewish believers, about having a hard heart, having a wandering heart, and having an unbelieving heart. Those are things that cause us to not draw near to the Lord having a hardness where you're no longer listening to the Spirit speaking to you, a wandering heart where you're just, you're, you're, your affections are drawn in different places, and an unbelieving heart where you're just like, I don't, know, I don't think that this is for me. I don't, I don't know that God can do this. We're to have a believing heart. And so we're to enter in to draw near in full assurance of faith. Not in my faith, not in, you know, man, I've got this great amount of faith, I can put my trust in Christ. No, it's in what Christ has already accomplished for me. It's a faith in him. It says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What that's referring to is what the Old Testament, the priests did. They would go in and they would, they'd have this cleansing, uh, this ritual cleansing that they would do uh, for the priest before they could enter into the service of the tabernacle. And so as the priests were ceremonially cleansed, allowing access to draw near, you too, you and I, we too, draw near with clean hearts, with a clean conscience. That speaks about our inner cleansing come in with a man, all that guilt, all that shame is gone. I can enter into God's presence and with washed bodies. And that speaks about outer cleansing. That talks about how we live our lives. You know, if you enter into the presence of the Lord with a true heart, you draw near, you can't leave unchanged. It'll change you. And, and so, man, it's like, I want to, I want to live my life pleasing to the Lord. It, it, we, 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 we walk out our faith the Bible says we're new creations in Christ. The old has passed away. The problem is I still sin. I still sin, but I love 1 John 1, 9. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, just, we just get that continual cleansing. Lord, please forgive me. Man, enter in. Draw near. And, then, and what it really means is to keep on drawing near. That's the first lettuce. Here's the next lettuce. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. uh, Excuse me, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Again, the Greek, the tense there is the present tense. Let us keep on holding fast. That word hold fast is to keep secure, to keep a firm possession of, not to let go. Um, What were they to hold on to and not let go? The confession of our hope. I'm so thankful that it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope and not let us hold fast the confession of our salvation. You know, it's like, I got to hang on to my salvation. Man, my security, your security is in Christ. It's not in my ability. It's not in anything I do. My security is in Christ and I love what, in chapter 3, verse 1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Uh, that, that last song we say, man, he's all we need, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Christ and in his faithfulness. Warren Wiersbe said this, when a believer has his hope fixed on Christ and relies on the faithfulness of God, then he will not waver. Instead of looking back as the Jews so often did, we should look ahead to the coming of the Lord. We'll be talking a little bit about that this morning as well. Titus 2 verse uh, 13 talks about hope. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not hope in my ability to hang in there, my, my great faith, you know, I got to have this great faith. No, man, my faith is in Christ. My hope is in Christ in what he accomplished. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope, excuse me, who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Man, you want to be blessed? Put your trust in him. So again, don't let go of your hope in Christ. Let's keep on holding on to our hope. Verse 24, the next piece of lettuce. (laughs) And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider one another. Again, the tense, let's keep on considering one another. What does it mean to consider one another? It literally means to observe fully, to be aware, to notice others. The opposite of that would be to be inconsiderate. Have you ever been around somebody who's inconsiderate? They don't think about you. They just think about themselves. They don't think about others, they, they're just self, self-absorbed. That's what inconsiderate is. But we're to consider others. We're to be aware of what's going on in people's lives. Let me ask you this rhetorically. Do you observe, notice, or consider visitors when they come into the field? Phil- now, we're a small church, so it's pretty easy to, to spot visitors. But do you notice them? Do you make a point of going up and saying, hey, I, How are you doing? Where are you from? Is there anything we can help you with? Can we pray for you? Anything like that? Do you you go out of your way to greet visitors? Not even visitors, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you come into church and there'll be someone, and you know them, they're not, they're a regular, you know, or they've been there forever, it seems like, and and yet there's something different. They're like, maybe they're not talking to anybody. They're just standing off by themselves, and there's a group of people talking here and a group of people talking here, and there's a person just kind of, you know getting ready to leave. Do you you notice that? Do you go up to say, hey, what's going on? Can I pray for you? Or, you know, what's the Lord done in your life this week? And we all need that connection. We all need that, that contact. And so that's considering others. And then of course, maybe the spirit lays someone on your head, uh, on your head, on your heart. (laughs) I glanced down on my nose. (laughs) Listen, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Um, I got to bed at two this morning, so it's a, got up pretty early. So, anyways, yeah. So, if, well, I guess the spirit could lay someone on your head, but, <laughs> but you know, the spirit lays somebody on your heart. You go, man, I need to talk to that person. Just encourage them. That's what's considering. That's what it means to consider. Think about other people. Now, we were on vacation the last two weeks, and we were with family and, and had a good time. But there were a couple situations, and I won't, I won't get into it, but, I mean, there were a couple situations where we felt like, man, nobody considered us. And, and it's like, you know, everybody, they're, they're, all, they're all involved. They're, they're thinking about themselves, and they never even thought about us. And, of course, we're not crybabies. they are not like, ooh, you know, nobody's thinking about me. But, but we noticed it. And, and you know, that's one thing that, that I try to do, and my wife tries to do, and I'm sure all of you try to do, we try to consider other people. You know, we're to have the gift of hospitality. You know, hospitality, it's, it's you, you think, well, what would, what would bless someone else? What would, what would minister to someone else's needs? And so, you know, if you have someone over your house, hey, would you like something to drink? You look like you're thirsty, would you like something, have a seat here, you know? That's, that's hospitality, opening up your heart, opening up your life. And so that's what we're to do. We're to consider. Well, what are we to do? We're to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What does that mean, to stir up? It literally means to provoke or to insight. Now, if you've been, and I know it's, uh, 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 Osha was sharing with me that she went up to uh, Brooklyn Center this past week. There's been some people that are provoked up there, there's some insights, people have been incited right to violence. You know, you get that thing of being provoked or, in, in, you know, we're not to incite people. And, you know, you get this verdict that, that's handed down up in the Twin Cities and everybody's on pins and needles like, man, is there going to be, are they going to start, you know, rioting and looting and everything? And, and, and that's the thought we have. You know, there's this inc- inciting to riot, right, or provoking to violence and stuff. That's what this word means, not to violence, but it means to provoke or to incite. Insight. You provoke or incite someone by doing something that results in a reaction. Whatever you do, it's going it's to cause them to do something. Well, we're not to provoke to anger, right? The Bible tells us, especially parents, don't provoke your children to anger. But we're to ins- provoke them, what? To love and good works. Well, how do you do that? How do you provoke someone to love and good works? Well, you just let them love you and minister to you, right? You come in and like, serve me. I want to provoke you to love and good works. so You could do something for me. That's not what we do. How do you provoke someone to love and good works? You love them. You do good to them. You minister to them. It's contagious. When you start ministering to people, they go like, man, you look joyful, and man, it's a blessing. I want to participate. It provokes other people to do the same thing. So you love and serve them. Well, let me ask you this. For those of you that are here, you might understand that. Maybe those of you that are watching online, let me ask you this, rhetorically, because you don't have to call me in or anything and give me the answer, but how can you provoke people to love and good works in isolation? Think, I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to knock anything, but how can you do that when you're at home by yourself? How can you do it in isolation? You can't. I guess you could call someone on the phone and say, hey, I've been thinking about you, you know, kind of pray. And we should be doing that. I I hope that you guys do that, you know, call call different people up and stuff and minister. But, you know, when you're at home in isolation, you really can't do that. It's only here when we gather corporately that we can provoke one another to love and good works. This is where we minister to other people. And so he says, in this verse, he says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know that that word assembling of ourselves, it's only used one other place in the Bible, and that's in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. It says in that verse, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's the same Greek word, assembling ourselves together. It's interesting to me that the writer uses the same word uh, uh, and, re- and the reason for not forsaking or gathering together is the soon coming of Christ. He uses it in the same way. It's kind of interesting. What's the purpose for our gathering together? It's to exhort one another. Let me encouraged to come alongside someone and to provoke and to love, uh, to prov- excuse me, to provoke to love and good works. That's the purpose for you and I coming to church. I want to provoke you to love. I'm going to provoke you to good works. I'm going to minister to you here at church. Listen, what, think about this. What's the most common, and maybe if you're not a pastor, you don't hear this. I hear this all the time. You probably heard it. Maybe you've even said it before. But what's the, one of the most common reasons people give for leaving a church? You ever think about that? The most common thing, we could play this is that one game show, you know, where you have the, and the audience says, they give you the little buttons you can push. <laughs> um, the most common reason people give for leaving a church, my needs aren't being met. It's not meeting my needs. That sounds totally opposite of what the writer is saying here. The reason we get together is to provoke one another to love and good works. It's not, I'm coming to this church because of what they can offer me. That's the wrong attitude. That's not a biblical attitude. And there's an urgency for our assembling together. And the urgency, he says, is as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of Christ. Now, the day of Christ is not like just one 24-hour day. It's referring to, uh, it includes the second coming of Christ, and it also includes the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, the rapture of the bride of Christ before the second coming. It's all comprised in the day of Christ. Speaking of the day of Christ, man, I tell you, we, you know, regarding the signs and the seasons that we live in, we know that Christ, I know that Christ is returning soon. I believe it with my whole heart. He's coming soon for his bride. You look at the signs around you. You know, one of the, one of the biggest signs to see is Israel. It's amazing. You know, Israel's a nation. After 2,000-plus years of, of, of not being a nation, they've come back. They have, they're they in their own land. They have their own uh, their own culture. They have their own money. They have their own uh, their language. Everything is intact from thousands of years ago. That's a miracle, the nation of Israel. That is one of the biggest signs of the second coming of Christ, one of the biggest signs. And, you know, you think about it, the United States, we... For all practical purposes, we are Israel's staunchest ally in the world. We really are as a nation, even though, you know, our relations kind of, you know, ebbed and flowed. But we are the staunchest ally of Israel the last administration, not the Trump administration, but the Obama administration, we saw that was really strained with the nation of Israel, and then President Trump came in and he moved the uh, embassy to Jerusalem and, you know, just really expressing just a full support for Israel, and now we've got this new administration, and now it's like, you know, I, you, you read articles and you hear things about some of the people in Congress saying, you know, they need to, we need to recognize the Palestine Indians, we need to do this and that, and 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 the, the relationship is starting to change. And the reason why I bring that up is because if you look at biblical prophecy, one of the things that's going to happen to Israel is all the nations of the world are going to turn against Israel. But but we're an ally of Israel. Yeah, but that's changing. And I honestly think it's changing permanently. I think we are going to a place where soon not too long in the in the future even the united states is no longer as a nation not as people but as a nation they're going to politically turn our backs on israel how could that happen well i think i think there's a real move to cause us to lose our Superpower status, where we're no longer influential in the world. You know, you look at biblical prophecy. The United States of America is not mentioned anywhere. I remember back in the '80s, we had a cassette tape about America and prophecy, and it was, you know, you read this stuff, and it's like, no, I'm sorry, we're not in prophecy. So here's one of the most, or the most powerful nation in the world, and now it's, it's not even mentioned in prophecy. What, what happened? Well, what happened is. What's going to happen? I believe is we're no longer going to be a superpower, and I think that is what's what's happening right now. I mean, I hate I this is not I'm glad as in July fourth. Uh, you know, I'm doing a message on <laughs> Independence Day, but seriously, change is coming. You look around in our culture, man. The changes in culture, how fast things things have changed and have gotten worse and worse and worse. The morality of our nation has changed. And then, of course, on top of that, I mentioned Israel's the, the, you know, the the biggest sign of the second coming of Christ. But think about all the move towards a global currency, a global government, everything global. That fits right in line with what the Bible says in the book of Revelation and in Daniel about the end times. So speaking of the second coming of Christ, the signs are there that Christ is coming soon. And, and I'm talking about the, the, his second coming, but if that's soon, how much sooner is the rapture of the church? I'm a firm believer in the rapture of the church. How much sooner is that? It can be any time. I don't think there's anything preventing Christ returning for his bride. And so as we see these days drawing near, as we see, you know, the, the, especially I think it's applicable for us in the United States, as we see our freedoms being stripped away and it's going to continue that way folks as we see that man how much more should we be encouraging one another praying for one another being there for one another ministering to one another it's it's so much more important as we see the day approaching you know i All I want to say about the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, Uh, rapture of the church is a comfort for us. But, you know, think about all the things that are happening. It's very depressing when you read about stuff that's going on. It can be a, a kind of a panic, like, you know, all these things are going to happen. But listen, don't panic. Don't be depressed. Just look up. Your redemption is drawing near. Praise the Lord. And so we're not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're to be considering one another in order to stir up love and good works. Why the need for the confidence? Look at verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will, be thought worth, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is a heavy passage of scripture. I was talking with a brother of mine, not a blood brother, but a a, a faith brother, a brother in Christ, and uh, just a couple weeks ago... And he knew that we were getting to this passage of Scripture. And he goes, yeah, he goes, man, this one's always so, it's so heavy on me, you know. And he, he struggles in his faith. He goes up and down in his faith. And uh, so this passage, he always applies to himself. And, and uh, you know, I, it can be a very heavy thing. But I want to kind of hopefully put some context on here. Listen, if you and I sin willfully, any sin that we do is willful sin, disobeying the Lord, However, that passage that I just read to you, I really honestly believe it's directed to those Hebrew believers. Those Hebrew believers who are considering walking away from their faith in Christ and embracing Judaism. What does John tell us? 1 John 1, verse 7 through 10 it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Christ's blood cleanses us from sin. 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For you and I as believers, man, we, we sin and we, I'll be honest with you, we willfully sin. We trespass. But that doesn't mean all of a sudden now, you know, it's like, okay, I'm damned to hell because i've got sinned again we have an advocate with the father christ jesus if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins but listen if someone rejects the advocate if someone rejects christ jesus the righteous then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins there is no other sacrifice for sin. So that's what the writer is trying to get across to these Hebrew believers. If you go back to Judaism, if you go back to the animal sacrifices, you're denying Christ. You're turning away from him. There is no other sacrifice. What do you you know, one of the prophecies of the of the old, of the coming of Christ in Revelation is is the third temple. And if you go to Israel, there's a group of very orthodox Jewish people that are preparing for sacrifice and service in the temple. They just need the okay for the property. And there's going to be some some great politician, some great statesman that's going to make it happen in the not-too-distant future. And there will be a third temple. And so the Jews will have their sacrifices again. I'm anxious, not for the third temple. I mean, I'm anxious because it means Christ is returning soon. But when they start doing that, it's, it's going to mean nothing because they've rejected Christ. If someone rejects Jesus Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If they go back to Judaism, then they have effectively trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and they have insulted the Spirit of grace. So when I read this, I don't go, man, it's, oh, it's, man, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation. I don't read that. I know from the rest of scripture that I can just turn to Christ Jesus and say, well, forgive me, and I'm forgiven. That I have that advocate, that great high priest, he's in heaven right now mediating for you and I on an ongoing basis. now it's kind of the rest of this chapter i think it's it's turning to those heat well this whole portion of course is you know spoken to these uh, hebrew believers but one of the things that can happen and you know talking about not drawing near uh, you know we can get distant in our relationship with the lord there's one way that he calls people back and 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 he's calling them here to remember look at verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. That's one antidote i would say of a, of a of a distant faith is to remember what it was like when you first came to christ when you first turned your heart to the lord what was that like do you remember that excitement that was in your heart the joy you know you were just everything was jesus jesus is all i need and everything you know jesus wrote a letter or didn't write a letter but he dictated a letter through the apostle john to the church of ephesus and they were a church that their doctrine was solid. They were rock solid doctrinally. Man, they had everything right. But what was the thing that they had done? They had left their first love. And, and that's so easy to happen. And so here's what he's saying is remember, recall those former days. And for these Jewish believers, the former days, they had suffered persecution You know, I mentioned that this was written to a group of Jewish people that, you know, they've been, they've been, they turned their hearts to the Lord, but then things got difficult. Well, things got difficult from the moment that they accepted Christ. It wasn't like later on things got, the moment they got, they accepted Christ, man, there's a division in the family. I've known Jewish believers that have turned their heart to the Lord and their family says, you're no longer a Jew. You're no longer part of our family because they've rejected the faith of Judaism and so these Jewish believers they had from the get-go undoubtedly they had suffered but you know what they were so in love with Jesus it didn't matter it didn't matter they were willing to give up whatever they were willing to go through those struggles for the sake of Christ but after a while they got a little tired of it they started wandering in their heart they started to walk away from the Lord just a little bit, you know. And that's what can happen in your and my lives, that, that just that little drifting. And if you keep on allowing that little drifting to occur, pretty soon you get to a point where you go, man, I don't hear. I, I read the word, and I, I don't hear the Lord speaking to me. It's like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. It's not that God's not hearing your prayers. It's not that his word stopped having an effect. It's something's happened with you. You've drawn away. And so he's telling them, man, remember those former days. A bit, Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Verse 34, for you had compassion on me in your, my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So we're on this vacation. My son uh, he got married out in, in Washington. and met a girl from Washington and got married in and. They started li- their life together out there, raising a family. And, and uh, we visited him off and on through the years. And he had an apartment the first time. And, and uh, you know, it's an apartment. You guys have lived in apartments, you know, it's, it's an apartment. You know, it's, it's there. <laughs> then later on, they got into a house that they were renting. And it, it's a house. It's a nice house. You know, it's, it's better than an apartment. And then they moved to, I think, I don't know, maybe two other times. Now they bought this house. We went there, and I told Teresa, really, I said, man, I could live here. They're on a hill. They're overlooking the Puget Sound on their back deck. You just sit out on the back deck and just watch the ships going by, and maybe you might catch a, a whale once in a while or something, you know. And it's just like, man, this is beautiful, and the house is just gorgeous, and it's and and so you're up on this little hill. It's not a big hill. You're on a hill, but you're high enough that you can see Puget, and you could see Victoria, uh, British Columbia in the distance, uh, San Juan Islands over here. It's like, man, oh, this is heaven and uh and and then you just have to walk down their block it's less than a five minute walk you're down on the beach and so i'm like man i could i could i could handle this i could really handle this and then i'm thinking well we're going to go back to our little house here in rochester you know and our neighbors i go i have a nice view of my neighbor you know <laughs> oh there you are hi you know both sides and and uh you know the view the person across the street mowing their lawn that's my that's our view you know it's like Okay, that's that's life here, you know. And sometimes you can get to that where you think about, man, if I had that dream house or maybe that dream car or that dream career or that dream husband or dream wife, you know, whatever it is that you, you know, I, I was talking to a person, a believer out there, uh, and I said, "How are you doing?" Oh, "Oh, my back. My back." And then I saw him again a little week later. "How are you doing?" "Oh, my back. My back." You know, that's and I and I and I mentioned to him. I said, "You know, Praise the Lord for bad backs and stuff because if my back was really good, if everything, if I had the dream house, I don't know that I would be that anxious for the second coming of Christ because, man, I got it so good here. I mean, I love this. I look at the ocean every day and, you know. So you and I, we go through struggles. You know, we go through, and we haven't experienced the plundering of our goods. I do think that's coming. I really do. I think it's coming sooner than than we would care to admit. Things are going to be changing in, in not so good a way in regards to that. But listen, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, health, family situations, job situations, whatever it is, just think about this. How much better it's going to be when you get to heaven, when Christ returns? And so, you know, sometimes we look at the, and we, it's all negative and negative, but, you know, in a sense, be thankful because you're that much more anxious for Christ's return. And I think you're going to enjoy heaven that much more. You know, I think about those saints that, you know, uh, they gave everything. They gave their lives that, you know, we have it so good here in our country, but in other countries, you know, if you profess faith in Christ, you're pretty much signing your own death warrant. And, and, and we've heard of that. People that in, in Sudan years ago, when a person came to Christ, they say basically, dig your grave because you're going to get martyred for your faith. And, and that would happen. Um, and, but the thing is, I think the more you suffer in life here, the more you're going to have a capacity to enjoy heaven and enjoy eternity with Christ. And so, you know, the things that we look at, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful house, uh, a lovely wife, a lovely husband, uh, you know, great job and careers. It's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> but I am thankful that I don't have everything perfect in my life. I really am. Because then I would have a tendency to not be too excited about Christ's return. He can come later when things, you know, when I'm ready. I'm ready right now, <laughs> I can tell you. I am ready <laughs> for Christ's return. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. What's our confidence? Our confidence is in Christ. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't turn away from Christ. Again, my confidence is not in me. It's in Christ and what he did. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for, a little, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So he's telling these Hebrew believers, man, you, you, need, you need endurance. James talks about endurance. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Suffering's not necessarily a bad thing. God can use it for good in your life. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's a quotation from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. It's mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's the passage of Scripture that Martin Luther was reading that started the whole Reformation movement. He read That, that verse is what impacted him. And like I said, it's mentioned three different times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul mentions it. The just shall live by faith. And it's interesting, the emphasis in Romans chapter 1 is on faith. The just shall live by faith. And that's what is emphasized in Romans. In Galatians, it's also mentioned. Galatians 3.11. And there, it's the just shall live by faith. The just is what's The emphasis. And here in Hebrews 10, verse 38, it's live. Now the just shall live by faith. Because that's what he's talking about. You guys, you need to draw near to the Lord. You need to hold on to your confession. You need to be involved with one another, the body of Christ, ministering to one another, encouraging one another. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we have faith in a living God. We have a living faith. And so we're to keep on. It's a dynamic relationship. We're to keep on drawing near. Maybe this morning it's like, you know, I feel like I've kind of drifted a little bit. It happens. If that happens, man, just draw near to the Lord. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. He is just a prayer away from any one of us. He's not far off. You don't have to go through a bunch of hoops to change your life to, for, for God to hear you and come. No, he's there. It's us that drift away. And so all you need to do is turn back to him. Keep on drawing near. Keep on holding fast to your faith in Christ. Not in yourself, but your faith in Christ. And keep on considering one another in order to provoke love and good works. Let's live that Christian life. Let's put into practice all these doctrines that we've been studying the last couple weeks or few weeks here in Hebrews. in verse 39 but we, so, so again, you know, he's t- he, this is a pretty heavy passage, this last part. But he says here in verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That ended on a positive note. Yeah, you know, if you, if you turn away from the advocate, there is no other sacrifice. You're rejecting the son of God. You're trampling what he did underfoot. But we're not those kind of people. We believe to the saving of our souls. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Let's go Lord in prayer, and I'll have the worship team come on up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that we have a living relationship with you. Lord, that we don't just have a bunch of doctrine that we can study and we can, we can you know, understand and, and we can explain all these different doctrines if people ask us and we know the truth and stuff. Lord, those are all important. But Lord, I thank you that we can apply it in our lives. Lord, you want us to live the truth of those doctrines. And so Lord, I thank you that we have a living relationship with you. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning, anybody who's watching online or listening online, Lord, that they feel distant from you this morning. They feel discouraged this morning. Lord, I pray that they might be encouraged. Lord, I pray that they may realize that all they need to do is just to turn back to you, Lord, that you are, you are like that uh, parable of the, of the prodigal son, Lord. You're that father just standing there waiting, watching, waiting for us to turn back to you. And the moment we do, Lord, you receive us with joy. What a blessing to have that kind of a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for being our advocate. Thank you for making the way possible for us to enter into the throne room of the Father, the throne room of the Holy of Holies. We don't have to go through hoops. We don't have to... Uh, go in with fear that we're going to die, we're going we're to be struck down, Lord. We can come in and we can just say, Daddy, I need you this morning. Thank you for giving us that kind of a relationship. And it's only because of what you did, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. Thank you for doing that. Lord, we love you this morning. I pray that your saints are encouraged this morning. I pray that we would draw near to you, Lord, throughout this week, Lord, that we would be considerate of the others around us. Lord, that we would stop being so self-focused. That, Lord, we would actually notice other people around us. And that we might actually even think, wonder what what they need, or maybe there's a way I can bless them. That we would be those kind of people, Lord God, especially as we see the day approaching. So I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for each and every person here this morning. I pray your blessing on this time and I pray your blessing on your people in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord of the closing song.